millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. Uh, this is Max Rushton. And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. We were joined by one of the great rugby referees, Nigel Owens, as uh, uh, mistakes were admitted in the big game between England and Wales at the weekend. Nigel gave us his thoughts on that and how some things could be used in football that are adopted so well in rugby. It was very interesting. We also spoke to Ray Atwell, who is... From the Hazen Southall Motorball Club. Yes, I learned about motorball. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a quite sport. Quite exciting sport. Well, it's dying out, and we want I want you to take it up, uh, ideally. Yes, you. Um, and you're, you're if here. If you more. don't take it up, stop listening. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> don't waste our time. No, I don't mean that, of course. We need all the listeners we can get. And on a serious note, um, sad news that Ian St. John had died uh, this morning, and Jim Rosenthal joined us to pay his own tribute as an old friend and we heard uh, a conversation that Saint had with Max around this time last year. So, uh, plus, we had a conversation, of course, about various things. Here it all is. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, Paul Hawksby and Max Rushton on Talk Sport. This is Paul Hawksby and Andy Jacobs. No, it's not. It's Paul Hawksby and Max Rushton. I looked alongside me. I thought, blimey, he's changed. He's got a lot younger. Uh, with you through until four here on TalkSport. Uh, what's coming up, Max? Uh, coming up over the next three hours, what tomorrow's budget could mean for sport. Nigel Owen on what football could learn from rugby when it comes to refereeing errors and talking about them. And is City's run Pep's greatest coaching achievement? Yeah, we'll ask that question. We'll also welcome your supermarket opter achievements um, and uh, we'll uh, chat to the woman who became a world rowing champion from her kitchen. Uh, all this, plus uh, why couldn't Moise Keane do it in the Premier League? And a plea for you to stop the sadly neg- neglected spot. Sport. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? <laughs> to be fair, right? Yes. I'm well, criticising who wrote this. Yeah. That's that's what's basically, what, what happened was I, I hurriedly had to write an intro you because did, we did yeah. a lot of prep for the show yeah. and I've left some quite key letters out. Well, you, well, instead of why, it was sort of Veng. It's like Henning Veng. Henning why, Veng. Why Henning Veng couldn't Moise Keane in the Premier League? <laughs> and a plea for you to stop the sadly neglected spot of multiple sports of multiple dying out. Yes. Well, you but get the we idea. You get that. the idea. And it's, also, look, to be fair, Paul had already folded up and thrown away the intro before the show yeah. even started. 
So that was. So that's, I think, a pretty good start all round, don't you? <laughs> Before the show, you said, I think we've got a really good show. Yeah, I said, well, we I think could always ruin it. The content's good, it's just the way I sold it at the top that wasn't quite so good. But anyway, it's uh, six minutes past one. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Matt. Ah, good afternoon, Paul. And, it, you know, it's really <clears throat> sad about in St John, isn't mm. it? Because I think like a lot of people, I've seen lots of people on, on social media and, you know, with Jim and Simon as well, I was, I'm too young to remember him as a player. Yeah. But, you know, St and Greavesy was Saturday television for me. I, yeah. can't, I can't remember if the wrestling, if it was on before the wrestling or after the wrestling, you know, the big daddy giant haste. Well, that was, it was always on, it was, it was a kind of lunchtime show. Yeah, the wrestling, I mean, in my, in my um, youth, the wrestling was always on at four o'clock oh, before, really? before Dickie Davis gave us the results. But, yeah, um, so, so they were next to each it was, other. It was the, it was the football focus uh, option, wasn't it, really, if you, if you wanted a kind of a different approach to it, as yeah. many people did, that's, uh, that's when it did... So well, um, you, you interviewed so We're going to hear. We're going to hear a little bit of that chat. You spoke to him. Was it last year? I, think I 18, spoke to him. When, when did the Greavesy documentary come out? Because I spoke quite to him recently. Off, it was quite recent. I think it was last year. Yeah. So I interviewed him, and he was on really good form. And we'll we'll play out a bit of that. And I, I tweeted this, and I'd be interested to know what you think about this. But and I doubt that Saint and Greavesy saw their show in these kind mm. of grandiose terms. But that show, they they were kind of pioneers, right, yeah. in making. In making football and sports broadcasting fun and upbeat and not taking itself, not yeah. taking themselves too seriously. And, I, you know, and I sort of think about people who've done that, you know, before I've essentially mm. done that. And sort of a great personal debt to all those people who, who did that. Obviously, the people who made the show. But they were so brilliant on that. And, you know, and, and that must have, and that influenced fantasy football which yeah. influenced, influenced AM, which anybody influenced who, everybody I yeah think. I think the thing about him was I, I a couple of times I was lucky on sort of socials to sit with him and Jimmy and just sort of shoot the breeze and talk a bit of he was a man of strident opinions mm. and not on football and everything else so he once he got into one you know he, he, he would get going and he had his own mind I, I in, the, in the sort of few times I, I got to know him and, and met him but there was a lot of affection between the two of them you know often in in comedy or in, in all walks of life You'll say to someone, "Oh, those two are great together," and they'll say, "Oh, yeah, it's amazing, really." They can't stand yeah, each other. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as they're off, they don't talk to each other. But in the time I got to spend with both of them, there was real affection. You used to see that on the screen. Yeah. And yeah. we're gonna have a chat with Jim Rosenthal later, and we hear a little bit of um, uh, uh, the chat that uh, Max had with him a little bit later on, and we will speak to Jim Rosenthal, who, who often got it in the neck from the pair of them when he was on at one some far-flung corner of the world doing a report yeah. into the show. Well, they just didn't take them, so I just, I, I think, you know, uh, you know, the, one of the keys, what do I know about broadcasting, mm. but the key, like, not taking yourself too seriously yeah. is just so important, and, the, and we know broadcasters who take themselves very seriously and those who don't, and the ones who don't are always better, in my opinion, and mm. the two of them, like, like, there are serious things that happen in sport, <clears throat> And there are things that don't really matter, and yeah. it's working out what that balance is. And I just think they got that absolutely right. And and he was much more. He was much more than just someone who laughed at, at Greavesy's jokes. Oh, no, right? no, that no. chemistry. It's so hard to find it. And I'm I'm like aware. You know, you have great chemistry with Andy. We, we get on all right, don't mm. we? But you know, like that thing that they had was. It's really hard to find. And I thought. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really sad. And he that's, you know, this is post-football. You know, he had an incredible career, international course, career, was yeah. brilliant in Liverpool. I've got a mate who's, who's named after him. You know, I mean, I think Liverpool fans at that time, he was he was a real icon. Um, so... Do you remember uh, him playing? I mean, I'm... It was... Um, I would have seen him play for Liverpool against Spurs as a very young kid. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen plenty on yeah. on TV over the years and the, the incredible diving header and stuff. I mean, it's the iconic moment. He is... Uh, 
Yeah, it's, it is a great show. It's been a sad couple of days, what with that, and um, with Glenn, St. Yeah. and Glen Road yeah. as well. Very sad. But we will we will speak to Jim uh, Rosenthal a little bit later on. Um, but before all of that, we, we're interested to get you involved uh, this afternoon in, in something I didn't know was a thing. This has been a correspondence in the, uh, in the Telegraph letters page. And I, I feel sad that I've not had one of these. It seems a number of the listeners have because you put this out on social media early. It's kind of supermarket opta. It's really great. Um, it, because of your loyalty cards and stuff, uh, if you're buying online, which a lot of people are at the moment with the pandemic, etc., they kind of keep a track on, on what you spend and they kind of pat you on the back for it. So I think John Dickinson uh, in the Telegraph kicked this off. He said, I've received an email from M&S congratulating me on being the third highest purchaser of tender stem broccoli <laughs> in the Berkhamsted branch. I don't know whether to be proud or concerned that its smart card is too clever for its own good. And then people started to weigh in. Judy Spector. I received a video from Mercado telling me, amongst other things, that I was the biggest purchaser of a certain brand of senior cat food in the whole of East Sussex. <laughs> I have informed the cat, she says. Uh, uh, Robert Hitchcock in Twickenham says, last Last year, my Sainsbury's Nectar card told me that I bought more packets of puffed wheat than anyone else in the St. Clair's store. My reward was a free box. Uh, Sandra Foley says, uh, I was at Sainsbury's biggest purchaser... Uh, sorry, I was Sainsbury's biggest purchaser of custard cream biscuits last year. Bought for my 92-year-old mother-in-law, I hasten to add. Don't distance yourself, Sandra, from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, own it. It's a proud boast. Own it. And the final one from John Price on the Wirral. Uh, I was uh, recently awarded the honour of being the number one buyer of multi-seed folded flatbreads to 2019 at my Sainsbury's on the Wirral. I was uh, even given a certificate to prove it. <laughs> oh, don't it. give out certificates. You can have an awards night, can't Absolutely. they? The Sainsbury's and night the, of a thousand stars. And the nominees are. The, nominees, the nominees for are. Rivitas in, in the Avon area are. That's it. Um, so I put it out on Twitter. Yes, yeah. I've got I've got lots more. Stuart Moffat, the number one buyer of kimchi in North Yorkshire. <laughs> um, uh, this is, uh, uh, Billy says, I will always remember 2020 for this. Uh, and he is the number one buyer of Trebor Extra Strong Mints in Sainsbury's wow. Glasgow Pollock Shields local. You can always spot him. He's the one with the freshest breath, isn't <laughs> he? Of course. Cobbler Bob says, this is a Cobbler nice little Bob. thread. Cobbler Bob, my yeah. parents are the number one and two top buyers of whole milk in the Sheffield City wow. Centre branch. No semi-skin nonsense for <laughs> yeah, them. They're both have got one and two. Wow, they're like good. the Brownleys, aren't they? Uh, so which, they're the Champions League places, <laughs> aren't exactly. they? Yeah. Uh, which is impressive for many reasons. Joe said, why are they both consuming so much whole milk cobbler bob says they refuse to drink water so that's they're the, that's the extent you have to go to if you want yeah. to be one and two for whole milk in sheffield city center I, I, I loved you saying earlier on you thought you'd be there or thereabouts in the champions league places for what well, well for hummus in my uh in uh, hummus in the barbican white why does that not come as a massive surprise uh talk sport <laughs> I am a man of the, i'm a man of the people max, max is very high up on the hummus i, I don't have a i don't have a i don't have my weight let's say i've lost my waitrose card so, yeah. so I'm a sort of unofficial record holder. So I don't count. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like the sort of BDO. You know, like, you've got the PDC, it's all done. But I'm, yeah. I'm old school. The I'm, great battle going on at the moment is at the uh, Waitrose in um, in Canary Wharf, where I think it's Alan and Ray Parler <laughs> 1 and 2 on the red wine sales, which much of which Jacob's they consume Creek, while exactly. shopping, if you've Absolutely. seen the videos. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Gareth Southgate uh, yes. this morning. This little, was great, uh, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, a little reveal. They, they did a quiz with Gareth and they, 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 they played some old clips and asked him for a bit of a what happened next. And, uh, and this is what Gareth had to say. I have to say, I, I do listen in to uh, Hawksby and Jacobs and those clips are brilliant. But uh, yeah, I'm afraid he did, he did think that uh, Bob was still alive, didn't he? Yeah, you can see why Ali's laughing. They just played the old Bob Monkhouse. <laughs> Nigel Botherway now knows that Gareth, the England manager, is listening enjoy- to him on a weekly basis. His, he's enjoying yeah. his clips. Yeah, he's a good man, Gareth. Uh, Rory Smith uh, from New York Times saying there's literally no phrase in the world less likely to help Britain get a World Cup than bring football home. He's yeah. right, isn't he? Well, I wondered, get football done. No, that, 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 might, that might not go so that, well as well. That was what they shied away from when we tried to get it um, you know, before because mm. it, it's seen as being quite arrogant. It's the worst worst way to get a World Cup it's our game we invented it we want it back what should we call but we don't what what should the tagline be we'll give it a go (laughs) what should it be 2030 we've got some we've got some pitches Euro 96 was a fantastic tournament well supported much loved people turned up to all the games it was properly embraced I think we did a really good job I think we did but we need to we need to under soft sell don't we yeah to an extent but, it, I mean, there it is, won't be that bad. There's still a lot, not maybe as much pushback as there was under Blatter, but there's still a lot of pushback. Oh yeah, because of the old uh, Sir Stanley Rouse era when it was seen that, that the the FA and England ran roughshod really over FIFA and, and just sort of ran it as their own little private fiefdom. But so the, you get a lot of pushback from South America and different parts of the world. But you know, in terms of putting on a tournament with the quality of the stadiums uh, in Britain. You could have a fantastic tournament right across the country and in Ireland as well. Yeah, but you're overselling it now. You need to be. You need to be. Give it back to yeah. us. We invented it. You wouldn't be playing football if it wasn't for us. They That's should a do great it. Right? Idea. What you should do? They should be like the Long Good Friday. Old Harold, all the all the heads of all the different, uh, you know, they're all there hanging upside down on delegates. meat hooks. I put money in all your pockets, even when you're out of order. Now there's been an eruption. Give us back our World Cup.
It would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, I think it should, be just, it should just be more Britain and Ireland 2030. If you've got, if there's no one else that wants to do it, we're happy to host. We're happy to host. Miss, no, if it, that's if, what it should be. We should, we should get Mrs. Doyle to front it. Yeah. Just say, Guan. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's all it perfect. says. Come on. Mrs. Doyle saying, just welcoming you in. Yeah. With a cup of tea go on, to bring us, bring us, yeah. yeah, bring us the world. Go on, go on, go on. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Now, um, Andy and I were talking the other day uh, about the this next topic, Moto Ball. Yes, they used to feature it um, back in the day on Fantasy Football. David and Frank were were, were quite fans of it, showing the old footage. It's uh, it's basically football on motorbikes. Yes, I've been watching some this morning. Yes, and what, what do you make of it? He's going to take it up. Yes, I've got some questions, though, if we have an expert. Well, we do, Great. thankfully. The trouble is that uh, it, I mean, in this country, it's maybe not as popular as it used to be back in the day. Very popular in the 30s, so it's right. been a while, but okay. still. I think there is one uh, surviving cu- club in this country, uh, Hayes and uh, Southall uh, Motorball Club in West London, and uh, Ray Atwell joins us uh, now to tell us more. Hello, Ray. Hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon, yeah. yeah we've, we've watched it before. I'm currently watching a bit of um, Germany versus Russia. It looks like quite the game. Um, oh. So how did, how did you get into the sport? Were you biker first or footballer first that took to a bike? Um, I, I've sort of, uh, basically, my, uh, my dad was a keen motorcyclist and he basically put me on a, a motorcycle when I was six years old. And uh, round about that time, he was um, he actually started the Metropolitan Police motorball team. And um, I, was, I was always around the scene and uh, my brother was um, was interested in the sport, too. And then um, my dad kind of gave up the sport. And then in the mid 80s, my brother then took uh, the, the sport of motorball back up again. And uh, gradually over the years, uh, I got more involved with it. And I'm now at the point where I'm, I'm running the club. Um, my son's been playing motorball since uh, 2005, so it's, it's three generations of, uh, of the family that have been playing motorball. Um, can I ask some very rudimentary questions? Um, <laughs> first of all, how, I've noticed that the goalkeeper is not on a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. Now, the thing is that, um, in, as you would have seen, if you've looked at some of the old footage from many years ago, the, 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 the goalkeeper used to be in the goal, with uh, he used to have to have a running moped to block the goal with. <laughs> he, he was he was at the mercy of all the the, the bikes running through the goal straight at him. Wow. Um, nowadays, it's a little bit more so, uh, like so, you know, more. It's much safer. Mm. Um, and what the goalkeeper has is uh, a six meter semicircle that he's not allowed. No part of his body can exit the six-metre semicircle and no part of a rider or a motorcycle can enter the six-metre semicircle. So he's essentially, he's protected apart from sure. you know, a one, one kilogram of um, rather large ball heading up at him at about 50 miles an hour. That was my next question. So, mm. so the goalkeeper's a bit like five-a-side goalkeepers, right? The next question is, the ball is enormous. Yeah. Well, it has to be, yeah. doesn't it, really? It's got to be if you're on a... Yeah. You know, it's got to be... But, but when you told me about it, I didn't it? think, I didn't know, I didn't realise there's, there's a place that makes giant... How much bigger than what a is football? It, so size eight? Is it? I'm saying, what is it? I don't know. It's um, it's uh, 120 centimeters in circumference. Right. Um, so it's approximately what three to four times bigger than a normal football. Because right. um, back in the day, in the 1930s, as you say, it was very popular, and they they used to basically play with uh, a standard football mm. and no no means of guidance apart from the bike and the and the, and their foot. 
Um, whereas nowadays, it's, as you can see in the footage that you've watched, it's mu much more technical in that you tend to sort of hook the bike up into the side of the bike and then you shoot off up the pitch up to 50 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, so who are you playing? As the only surviving club, are you having to go ab abroad? I suppose you could sort of pre-lockdown. How, how, do, you, how do, you, or do you just play into club? How does it work? Well, what we do is we um, we play at uh, any shows and events that would like to sort of have us, um, which is becoming more and more difficult because of lack of venues. Um, but what we do, we have enough members that we do. We randomly draw the, the team members for each side, and then it's essentially they're playing a different team every time they play. So we sort of, you know, we sort ourselves out. We've got two different sets of shirts, so we can actually, on the face of it, look like we're two separate teams, but we're actually all the same team. And um, on the subject of playing on, on, on the continent, yeah, we, we actually, in 2019, um, after a 30-year yeah, hiatus of, of no British team having gone to the continent to play, we actually went to Kiersper in Germany and played in what they call an Altenherren tournament, which is roughly translated as old men hmm. um, <laughs> tournament. And uh, we, we went out there with quite a small crew of people and uh, we were up against a team, the only team from Holland and a team from uh, Pattinson and uh, from Kiersper. And um, we fought valiantly, but naturally, because we don't have the sort of the, the, the facilities to practice and uh, regularly play, we sort of, you know, we did lose that tournament, but we, we give it our best. How, how, how many players in a team? And, and I've noticed it's not really a, it's, it's much more a sort of dribbling game than a tick-attacker you know, sort of quick. Although I just saw a fantastic thing. Some guy got himself just on the edge of the semicircle right. near the and um, and a ball was floated in and he headed it. Well, he magic. planted the bike and Stop just it. headed it with the. So you know, but, but you can stick a cross in, can't you, uh, Ray? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly on the continent the the Germans, the French, the Russians especially. The Russians are very hard playing and they're very skilled at what they do because they actually have some teams that are semi-professional. But yeah, I mean, you know, some of it is just uh, just shooting up the pitch and looking for the opportunity and shooting at the goal. And other times, it's it is team play, it's proper teamwork where they're, they're actually working out where they're going to place the ball and then actually, as you say, lamping across the uh, the pitch and then somebody heading it into goal. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask a really stupid question. On, I like the idea of if, you, if you've got like a new quick motorbike, do you play on the wing? And as you get older, as the bike gets older, you yeah. you go further back, and essentially you're just well, like a centre back because you can't go as far. Well, you're, if your bike gets older, <laughs> exactly. Think, yeah. yeah. I mean, are they? Do you use particular bikes? To yeah, play? They're, they're off-road enduro trail uh, motocross bikes converted mm. specifically for task. Mm. Um, often the bikes are all fitted out with um, ball guards on the front wheel, around the front of the engine and around the back wheel to stop people's fingers getting in there and you know, being damaged by another bike ramming it. Because as you would have seen, it's quite contact. It's, mm. it's, yeah. you know, it's very hard on the bikes and players. Um, and the bikes are converted. They normally have a gear lever on the left-hand side of the bike and a, and a foot brake on the right. But the, often the bikes are converted that they have two foot brakes. So you can take the ball on either side of the bike and brake still. And you have hand gear changes. So you only have two speeds, 50 brake horsepower. Um, and you can just, you know, you can, uh, and, and as you will have seen in the footage, you know, if you can picture somebody doing speedway with a ball on their foot, mm. you know, that's essentially what it is at times. Andy would say that whoever scores from the first corner will win the race if it's a... Sp anyway, I said this, an Andy <laughs> gag. Um, so finally then, Ray, the, the message is, if you live in West London near your club, maybe come along and try it out, or the more the merrier, I guess. And if you're in another part of the country, I'm sure you guys will be happy to 
to give uh, you know people that like to take this sport up a bit of a crash no not crash course probably not the best That's phrase no. <laughs> but to give them some guidance how it may be how they could start up their own club we're certainly very willing to give any advice that anyone wants we've got a facebook page so that people can message us we can they can go on the page they can join the group um we're always uh, on hand to sort of give advice if people want to play um and whilst we're in west london we're not Specifically in West London, we have half the players come from South End, okay. half of them are London-based. But we often play all over the place. We're sort of, you know, wherever we can get a fixture, we'll, we'll play. So it's, uh, you know, if you're sort of, say, for instance, in, we've got an event coming up in Ipswich in September time. So if, if anyone's around that area, they're welcome to come along to it. But best thing to do is look at our Facebook page and uh, see what we're up to. Okay. I've, just, I've just tweeted out the Facebook page. Brilliant. If you want to, find well, let's out. not let this fine sport die. Thank you, Ray. Thank Good you, to Ray. talk to you. All the best. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Ray Atwell there from uh, the Asian Southall Motorball uh, Club. He's are you, you going to watch the rest of the game during the show? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah the the Germany-Russia game, was. I said, the header was really <laughs> impressive. It was clearly because he, he, he rode into position, basically planted his bike, ball was swung in, and it was like a little glancing header just went over the bar. It was unlucky. Oh, to cross it while you're on a... Outside of the foot cross, isn't it? <laughs> it was, That's really They tremendous. do make some good contact. charisma on, the, on, Modric, <laughs> on Modric. That's all you need. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Correspondents in the Telegraph alerted us to the fact that there's a kind of supermarket opta where... Uh, supermarkets often write to their customers telling them they're the number one buyer of multi-seed folded flatbreads on the Wirral. And uh, there was a number of these. That, of course, uh, I don't need to tell you that if you follow these kind of things, was John Price from Upton. But um, you've been telling us about yours. Uh, I was number one purchaser of pre-packed firecracker chicken in Leicester Forest East Sainsbury, says Alex. Um, another one here. Uh, wife has just informed me we're the number one buyers of anchor butter at Sainsbury Brighton. <laughs> if you saw me, you wouldn't be surprised, says Grant the Brighton Hammer. Um, Jonathan says, number one buyer of McCoy's Salt and Vinegar, vinegar Crisps at our local Sainsbury's 2019 and 2020. Uh, Jonesy, I was the number one cons- consumer of Moretti in Brixworth Football Club. <laughs> he says, there we are. Uh, and this is... Um, uh, this is from Mark, uh, top purchaser of cream soda in Aylesbury, Sains- <laughs> Sainsbury's 2020, proudest moment during lockdowns. They've been sending certificates to people for some of this, apparently, which is amazing. Um, I don't know if um, our call here doesn't put his name on this one. Number one buyer of meat-free picnic eggs, Sainsbury's in Derby, and I'm the number one buyer currently of strong ground coffee in the same branch. Not sure whether this qualifies me for Tokyo or not. <laughs> Neil says, I was the number one consumer of Sainsbury's Mediterranean tuna fish cakes in the Darlington area. <laughs> this is brilliant, isn't a, it? A range which has been discontinued. Gosh. So much for loyalty, says Neil. Rob says, my proudest boast, uh, Cheshire's top orderer, order, order, excuse or, or, me. You're right there. <laughs> I'm hammered. Order, uh, order. <laughs> look, yeah. I think one day I could do that. I could be the speaker. Yeah. So I was just having a practice. Or, uh, top orderer of Yorkshire Wensleydale yeah. in Cheshire, says Rob. Surely you'd be the number one buyer of Cheshire in Cheshire, no, wouldn't you, really? No, no, no. And Jim says, my mum was the 10th highest buyer of M&S tea in her area with some hard work and an injury-free year. I think she can make it into Europe. <laughs> now, this must work by telling people this. They obviously have this... It's like this thing that... Because uh, when I speak to Andy when he's at home a couple of days a week, mm. we do it. We do it on house party, Andy and I. We converse on house party. Yes, yes. Uh, other similar formats are available, as you're probably aware, in lockdown. But uh, occasionally I get, like, a little message 
message that says, you and Andy, like we're a couple of 15-year-old <laughs> girls, you and Andy are on a roll. It's party time. Why not get together tonight for a chat? And I think, well, we don't want to do that. It's a, it's a work tool, mate. It's not a game. It's so, a, But it does. It makes you think, if you keep telling people, if they're the number one buyer of uh, crisp breads in, in our broth, they think, I've got to buy more crisp bread. If I'm the second iced, I want to be number yeah, one. it could work. It, it's, a, it's slightly similar. You know when Facebook occasionally makes like a photo montage mm. of like one day in your life with some plinky plonky piano music, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like a mini break to Turin and it's nice. Yeah. But Facebook did that once to me and I'd got hives. <laughs> it was just like, I just lots of pictures of you with hives. It was just like, and I was sending some pictures to the doctor. So it was just like, <laughs> and I had this beautiful piano music, like, dingy, 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 ding, remember and the day? And it's just like, rash on my side, <laughs> rash on my back, yeah. bit on my shoulder. And then it sort of ends with like a bling, and it's sort of like close, it's like nice. a close up, a yeah. slow, slow panned close up of like some high. That's like that. really it's probably nice. done. I mean, if, if you've had, if a lot of, a lot of mobile phones, do that as yeah. well they put like a little memory board together so if you've had some memorable ones to match <laughs> uh, Max's hives montage um, do let us know it was very moving the second time um, what else have we got uh, my mate uh, Joey came second in the uh, 2019 Sainsbury Swindon iron brew uh, purchasing <laughs> still waiting for the 2020 Covid hit results as he pushes for the title says Colin my so, friend Fran says Tom uh, was 2019 Hellman's mayonnaise purchasing champion of Sainsbury's Bamba Bridge, not satisfied with a single discipline victory. She diversified and went on to secure the Halloumi buying title for 2020. Hashtag two weight world champion. That's great. And David in Cobham just finally, we hold the title of the biggest consumers of Jamie Oliver's tomato and basil pasta sauce, according to Ricardo. There's only three of us in the house. It's the very ver- it's very versatile though. Pizza-based sauce, lamb stew base, wheat abex topper, says uh, David. That could take off on the on Twitter quite possibly. Anyway, um, keep those coming. Uh, Talksport.com, text that. It is like Opta for supermarkets, so we say it's kind of sport because you are looking to achieve a goal, even if it means eating more pies. Matt says, I'm the top buyer of Slimline Tonic at the Sainsbury's Marshall Lake. It's a bit worrying as I live alone. That's a lot lot of G&T. Keep going, Matt. We might track down Ben Katzman, 32, who has just set a world record for swimming wearing handcuffs. It has to be backstroke. It wasn't. (laughs) It's the kind of his hands. It's it's a kind of weird stroke. It's a sort of. It's a hybrid of a. It's weird. It's not a backstroke. He's on. He's on his side almost swimming. Any other way? You don't want to be. You know, it's very. I would if you are currently handcuffed and swimming, and I suspect that's against the rules currently. Yeah. If you are. Don't go on your front. That's just my advice. No, I mean yeah. certainly don't, kids. But because obviously Ben's a pro, but we are trying to. He lives. He lives in Virginia, so we're trying to track him down at the moment. So leave that with Can us. There's one person listening with handcuffs on at the moment. There might be someone who <laughs> you know, knows way. Got it on in the police van up front. I've possible, got no idea. Possible. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Every sport has got its own way of dealing with controversy, and I was quite impressed to read today. That Joel Yutger, who is the World Rugby's head of match officials, spoken to Pascal Gozier, who was the referee in the uh, England-Wales game at the weekend, and they've been very open about what happened. Um, I think one has to be transparent, says Yutger. Um, say what one thinks rather than let things fester. In this game, there were two unfortunate incidents which were not simple to manage. I know, having spoken uh, to Pascal, he recognises that himself. Very open, dealing with it. Yeah. And, acceptance, down what, and part of it is an acceptance that people make mistakes. 
that I think football yeah. still doesn't, we can't quite accept that oh, a referee no. might occasionally make a mistake because they're a human And then being. we see open season on refs. Anyway, let's get the thoughts now of, uh, of Nigel Owens, of course, former international rugby referee. Good afternoon, Nigel. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What are you? Good, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Um, we've often, I know you often get asked about as a referee in, in rugby against football, but I, I mean, is this the norm really that, that, that these sort of things are dealt with? And how do you feel as a referee when this, when the, the head of match officials says stuff like this? Well, it, it, it's not the norm, to be honest. We have seen over the recent years where maybe world rugby or the head of referees in, in a certain country or competition would have come out to clarify big decisions, uh, controversial decisions. Sometimes it's clarifying that the referee was correct in his judgment, and then sometimes it's to clarify that the referee got it got it wrong on, on, on the day. So it, it's not the norm, to be honest, but uh, it has happened a couple of times in the past. We saw it after the Gareth Hanscom uh, disallowed try up in Twickenham about uh, three, or three or three years ago, I think it was, mm. um, when they came out and said that the try should have been awarded and the TMO that they had, had, had got it wrong. So it's not the norm, but it does happen occasionally. And it's a, it, it, it's, it's nice to see that openness and transparency, but it, it is a very, very difficult balance to get right because there'll always be discussion points in the game. So where do you draw the line and on the ones that you actually do debate, the ones that you put out in the public domain when the referee's got it right or get it wrong. So it's a very, very difficult balance. And I think they have to be very, very careful. In, although everybody would welcome some honesty and transparency, um, there's a lot more around it as well that people have to bear in mind, I think. I saw Nick Easter yesterday being quite critical, not just of uh, the interpretation of, of, of the laws, but also the way it was handled in his conversation with, with Owen Farrell. Um, I mean, what, what did you make of the the game itself and those two big calls? Yeah, I think you remember as well, you know, Pascal is, is a very good referee um, and English is his second language. So, you know, maybe the communication between him and Will Farrell, if he was English first language, may have flowed a bit better than, than it actually than it actually did. So Owen Farrell, obviously, as a captain, was quite right um, in his own right to go and speak to the referee and, and put his point across, which, which of course, we had a very valuable point. Um, so look, these decisions happen. It's not very often you get two big decisions like mm. that where two tries are scored from them. And obviously, they've come out and said afterwards that those tries should, should not have stood. So it's very rare to get two big points like this um, in the game, but I wouldn't read too much in about uh, in the communication between the both because obviously you know English is not Pascal's first language, so that sort of may have sort of contributed to that sort of maybe icy feeling, maybe which which certainly wouldn't be from him as an individual. I know it, it feels to me like rugby referees have been mic'd up forever, but I presume there must have been a time when they weren't. And I just wonder at that moment when rugby referees suddenly got mic'd up and everything they said could be heard by a TV audience. How did how did the officials find it? Were you were you in favour of that or were you against that? Um, no, it wasn't so much I was in favour or against it really. When I started refereeing at the professional level, the, the microphones had just come in a couple of years be- before that. So it, it's something that the, sort of the transition happened quite naturally really. And, and what you've got to remember as well, the reason it was brought in is that they wanted to take rugby to a new global audience. People who would turn up to, to watch the game socially, never been to a rugby game before, didn't know what was going on because it's such a very complex sport compared to, to football, which is pretty much more straightforward and easier to, to follow. So they wanted explanations of decisions for not just 
people who are new to the sport, but even some genuine rugby supporters or, or you know, long-life rugby supporters who didn't know what the decision for. So that's why the reasons referees... Referees were not asked to make up. It was part of of the process of, of making rugby more understandable to people who would not tradi- traditionally follow the game, really. And I think that's a good thing because you, mm. you, can, hear, you can hear the reasons why the referee gave the decision on the weekend. Now, you can disagree with him and his explanations obviously, you know, don't add up then when you look back in hindsight of actually what had happened. But you could see this is what they thought. They didn't think the ball was knocked on, hence why they gave the try. So if you're watching a football match, for, for example, if that try, try would have been given, that goal would have been given, and everybody thinks, well, it shouldn't be given, nobody would have known well, why have they mm. given it? So at least there was an explanation. See, well, okay, I can understand. They don't think it's been knocked on. I don't agree with that, but but that's why they've given it. So I think it is hugely important part. I, I think that's something that could work well in football. I would really like to see football bring in communication, particularly with the VAR, because it would help people understand why a decision is made in football. At the moment, a lot of people, particularly when crowds are back in the stadium, who haven't got the replays on big screen, when the referee changes his mind due to VAR information, all the spectators in the stadium are totally blind and thinking, why have they changed their mind? We don't know why. So that would help a lot, I would think, particularly around the VAR issues. As you know, Nigel, there's real pushback on that. I totally agree. I think a lot of people in football think it would be a fantastic move, but the excuse that's often made is that the level of industrial... You talk about growing the sport and it being a global sport, the level of industrial language that goes on, um, it, it wouldn't make it maybe a sort of family viewing. Um, what do you make of that excuse? Well, I suppose that's a very fair point, I guess, isn't it? Because you do hear it. Rugby cannot take the moral high ground. There's a lot of things that rugby can can address uh, and need to address. And sometimes in rugby, you will hear the odd swear word from from a player. But it's it's doing frustration more than anything sort of towards the referee, where football is slightly different in in that way. So it would need a huge change of behaviour from officials and from footballers. So... That's what they need to do. But I think by bringing the microphone in, that would force the change yeah. in behaviour. And I think that would be a good thing, not a bad thing. You may have to have match of the day bleeped out for a couple of occasions <laughs> in the first few weekends, but I'm sure then uh, the advantage of it would outweigh any negatives from it. And it would, I believe, change the game for, for, for the better, particularly on the language front as well. Totally agree. I think players would change their habits. And, uh, and, and I think on a... Yeah, yeah, sorry. I think on a really basic human level... <clears throat> Right, we know Nigel. We know Nigel's voice. We know it from watching the games. If you, yeah. on a basic level, you just don't know what yeah. referees sound like. If you know their voice, it makes you feel it human. Sort of, yeah, it does kind of humanise the referees, uh, Nigel. I think that that plays a part in that as well. We get to know their personalities and the way they referee games. And, and I, I think that's right. And, and, and it's you know the, the communication to the players. You know, they, sometimes a referee do a decision and you tell a player, "Look, I've already told you twice now. You're obviously not listening." So you're going to go off for a yellow card in rugby, for example. And it's the same in football. If you say, look, I've told you twice about your behaviour. If this continues, then, you know, there's going to be a harsher sentence or there's going to be a a penalty or, you know, whatever it would be around Mm. that. So they can understand and follow then. And if a referee explains, well, look, this is why this goal is disallowed, then at least people can understand well, I don't agree with the reason they disallowed it for. I don't think that is actually the case, but at least we know why it's being disallowed. And I think you're quite right as well. It would 
humanise the referee, I think, and and show a bit of the more as as human people, just just like like everybody else, and bring bring a bit of humanity to it as well, and get people to mm. to understand a lot more about refereeing. Then I think. Finally, Nigel, we spoke to you just as uh, you retired a little while ago. Watching the Six Nations, any regrets? Are you missing it? <laughs> Not after Saturday, no. I'm glad I won the Saturday. <laughs> oh, yeah, it would have been a lot of fun. They probably wouldn't have given you that game, maybe. Anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Um, um, no, I, I'm not. To be honest with you, I really thought I would. I would be really sort of struggling and missing it. But, but to be honest, at the moment, I'm not. And that's probably a lot to do with the time was right to finish. I've got other commitments as well, particularly the farm at home, the other work, the TV work, the yeah. country work I'm doing with SOC. And I think as well, very strangely, the, the COVID situation, occasions like the Six Nations, like the football games now, they're very, very different without sure. the crowd. It's really showed the most important ingredient of any sport is the spectators. And that's probably helped in me not missing it mm. as much as I probably would have, to be honest. But every time you come on, there's about 100 tweets saying he should run the PGMOL. So like, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you do get bored, no, there's probably a job for there you. There might be a job hey, for hey, you. Hey, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nigel. All the best. Good to talk to you. Hey, my pleasure as always. All the best. There we are. The great Nigel Owens there, one of the great uh, rugby referees, recently retired, and uh, very interesting stuffling on football. You yeah. know, I think you're right. It would make such a dip, but they are so reluctant to do it. It will happen one day. We might as yeah. well just, just say it's going to happen one day. Let's yeah. just... Or it, trial it, trial it. Yeah. I know they tried it with David Ellery the a thing few is they, thousand they years ago. They keep going back to that one game with David so Ellery, don't they? I know. You know just it's Tony to... Adams' fault. It's, <laughs> just because he called him a cheat, right. they won't do it anymore. <laughs> well, that, wasn't it Ray Parler telling the story of him? They said, it seems, George Graham said, it seems, Tony, you called the ref a cheat. He said, I didn't, Gaffer. <laughs> they said, oh, they were recording it. He said, oh, well, then I must have done that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm paraphrasing. Ray will tell you next time he's on. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Had a couple of themes over the years. That more, takes more, me back. A knockabout one, of course, uh, for uh, Saint and Greaves. Yeah, we're reacting to the sad news that Ian St John died earlier today. And we'll chat to Jim Rosenthal, who was uh, part of the Saint and Greavesy team for many years and knew him well. Uh, before that, though, Max, you, you spoke to uh, Saint this, about this time last year, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so the Greavesy documentary came mm. out, which is an amazing documentary, yeah. and, it, and it means a huge amount to me. I think my dad's a big Spurs fan mm. and watched Jimmy Greaves, and after every Spurs game rings me up and tells me how good Jimmy Greaves was. But I spoke to Ian St John about making Saint and Greavesy, which for me was like sort of seminal yeah. TV, but like fantasy football was, we, we, you know, with Badil and Skinner. And, yeah, we've got a couple of clips from him. The first one is, is just talking about that TV show. My job was to try and obviously do, do the football programme with Jimmy as my partner, uh, I had to try to keep the thing running in a straight line. But Jimmy could go well scripting and... And go on a wonder, you know. Well, saying, you know, and before you know it, you're talking about something absolutely uh, nothing to do with what we were talking before. And it was funny, and everybody, you know, it's funny when the cameramen laugh, yeah, in the studio, <laughs> and the lads on the floor would, would, would laugh. Uh, and it was a good atmosphere, and it was great. And nobody told us, say that and say that, and nobody said, don't say that and don't say that. So we, we were not restricted in any way or encouraged in any way to 
to do one thing or another. We just did it. It just was off the cuff, and it was great to do, fun, and uh, better than working, as we used to say. Yeah, we'll play another clip from that chat in a moment. First, a man who was very much part of the Saint and Greavesy show and got a lot of stick from Jim when they'd crossed the far-flung corners of the world where uh, our next guest was. Uh, Jim Rosenthal joins us. Hi, Jim. Hi, Paul. Uh, love love the, the SIG as well. Brought mm. back a, a lot of happy memories. I heard you at the start of the show saying I got, I got a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of pains in the neck or, or knocks in the neck. I think I got quite a few punches on the nose as well, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. <laughs> but an, they easy, would... an, easy, an easy target for them. They would often cross you when they Jim would say, oh, Jim Rosenthal is joining me. He's at the Azteca stay. Oh, Jim, you got a bit of a sweat on that. And he'd, he'd start giving you some clog and you'd hear Saint laughing. And purely, it's interesting <laughs> him talking there as, as a TV job. You know, obviously he'd have, he'd have uh, someone in his ear trying to keep the show on the straight and narrow, getting into a package of goals or a guest and Jim yeah. would be going off at a tangent. It, for a man that wasn't, uh, you know, been a footballer before he was in TV, it, it wasn't an easy TV job. It, it, def- it definitely wasn't. <clears throat> and uh, trust me, he, he developed into a, a really, really good television pro as well and uh, did, did the sort of the hard yards, I guess, and allowed Jimmy to do, to do his stuff. But, but Saint um, was, was uh, obviously an essential part of what has to be um, just about the most perfect partnership on air, certainly in sport that that, that, that we that we have had those two, and and it came it came out of out of out of nowhere really. John Bromley, the iconic head of ITV Sport, decided to put the two of them together after the 1982 World Cup, and it's you guys know this. It's so hard to get partnerships that work in in, in broadcasting. Mm. And more often than not, they they don't work. And for whatever reason, uh, the, the the Scott and the Englishman both have been great players in their time on the screen. Saturday lunchtimes for close to ten years. It was just TV gold, just TV magic. And these these two these two hit it off. And you could hear there in in, in the answer that he gave to me last year that you know he, he's so humble about what his role was because it was more than that. You know he wasn't just there to laugh like you said, Paul. He's yeah. got to do everything, and it's yeah. not an easy skill you know and some of us have never mastered it and 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 also they were Jim I said at the top of the show that show was a like a pioneering show in terms of talking about football in a fun enjoyable way well it was and it, it opened it opened up uh, the roads to a lot of other similar shows and to shows that, that, are, that are around now as, as well Max and I think Listen, I came from a pretty straight BBC background where you did things very professionally and very straight. And then um, with ITV, this show came along and it made people realise that people want to have fun with sport. Mm. Sure, it's serious, but you want to have fun. You want to have a chuckle and you want you want to see the funny side of things, albeit while covering the serious aspect, too. Mm. And and I think that was the great with a great boost that people would turn on for 45 minutes or an hour every Saturday lunchtime during the season and know that at some stage they would get a proper laugh and a chuckle and the Saints laugh by the way is something that I will remember him for really when he laughed the room laughed with him and he would he would breeze in on a Friday afternoon having come down on the on the train uh, uh, from, from Merseyside with his suit carrier over over his shoulder and uh, and and the room would would laugh as soon as he mm. came through the door the Saint he, he was he was outstanding like that. He was a helpful, he's a generous broadcaster too. I was just speaking to Peter Drury, great commentator now, who said how much the Saint helped him in his early days when he was nervous as a kitten working on, on TV. So he, he was a generous broadcaster as well. Someone else said to me, 
if there was, if it went off in a bar, you'd want the saint to be by your side. <laughs> I can see that as well. I can definitely see that as well because he had strong opinions. Yeah. He respected your opinions, but he always always had strong opinions too. And and again, on a personal level, listen, we had this bang average commentators football team that played on Sundays before the advent of of, of Sunday uh, uh, football took over everything, mainline professional football I'm talking about. And the dear old saint, he came and played for us. He came oh. and played for us and, and he even went on a tour to Florida with us and, and played and played his heart out. And so, you know, there weren't many there weren't many things with Ian St. John that you can say put a cross next to his name. You gave him you gave him a lot of lot of ticks. Sure, absolutely. Um we can hear another little bit of the interview that I did last year, just on the friendship that Ian St. John and, and Jimmy Greaves had and both had difficult times and helped each other through them. We really got on well together as pals we, we got on great together because I had so much respect for them having played against them and played with them and he's getting over the alcohol business which mm. again gets mentioned today uh, quite rightly that's a big, it was a big thing because how many people have, have big alcoholics and never got over it you know and lost the battle but Jimmy won the battle I mean when I was with him and we we did things during the week as well, you know, I'd be up in the country and different things. And I could take a drink, but I never would drink in his company. Yeah. Because I thought, oh, no, he's he's having a battle here, and I'm not going to be sitting beside him, you know, drinking a pint of Guinness, you know, while he's looking at me thinking, I wouldn't mind doing that. I would always support him in, in his battle, always support him. That's my little... How claim to fame, <laughs> and also save my money. <laughs> Brilliant, yeah, lovely stuff. Um, Jim, we're out of time. Thanks ever so much for your memories. Thanks for joining oh, yeah. us. Thank you so much for giving the opportunity to talk to talk about him as well. I mean, he, he was a listen, a magical footballer. That, that, that's absolutely beyond any doubt, mm. and, and, a, and a great human being. And I think when his name comes up down the years, people will smile when they remember the same. Absolutely. Can't ask for more than yeah, that. Thank well you, Jim. Jim. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you. Jim Rosenthal there. And as Jim was saying, they were, the thing is, they, they would mess about and they would make you laugh, but when they actually spoke about football, they were two fantastic footballers. So, you know, it came with an awful lot yeah. of authority as well, that, that, sh that shifting gear. I just remember one, he was just... I think <clears> Mickey <throat> Quinn was scoring loads of goals yeah. and they were talking about him playing for Ireland and Jimmy Greaves just said... Now all they've got to do is show them where Ireland is. <laughs> it was just, you know, the same just creased. And you're like, absolutely brilliant. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. Very interesting to hear from the listeners today, wasn't it, about their uh, supermarket optus and especially Steve in Bakewell. <laughs> Take a bow, sir. The man who had a lovely video montage with set to music by his phone. Of his garage burning down with his car in it. It made us laugh out loud, it Steve. Made us, Chapeau, it made us mate. both laugh out loud when it we did. were meant to be talking to a guest. That's it right. marvellous. Anyway, thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow from one. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.